welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Well, this morning as we come to worship the Lord together and to remember the, the death of Christ, it's an opportunity for us to um, once again reflect upon what we have in Christ. The Friday before Easter is called Good Friday, and for those of us that to know the, the details of what happened to Christ with the uh, mock trial, the arrest, the beatings, the crucifixion of Christ, and all that uh, took place on that day, we would not uh, say that was good. In fact, uh, what uh, they was done to him was evil, and yet it is good for us. And uh, it is, it was part. It was God's plan, His perfect design for our redemption, that we might be purchased out of the bondage of sin and death. And so, uh, it is appropriate to uh, to refer to this uh, day as Good Friday. For what uh, is God accomplished for us? Uh, D. A. Carson wrote. It was not the nails that held Jesus to the wretched cross. It was his unqualified resolution out of love for his Father to do his Father's will. And it was his love for sinners like me. And so we, on Good Friday, recognize it as a a good day because he paid the price for our sin. It is a, a good day because... It was the day He conquered sin and death, and that all who believe in Him will be forgiven, and our sins can be removed, and we can be reconciled to God, never to be separated from Him again. That's a a wonderful thought just to ponder this morning because of what He's done for us. In our text, if you open your Bibles to... Ephesians chapter 2, text we've been working through. We're going to return there this morning. And if you remember from uh, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, Paul is writing about separation. Uh, He writes about the separation from one another. The the Jews and the Gentiles in that culture were separated. More importantly, he moves uh, to talk about separation uh, from God as a result of our sin. And so let's look at this text again, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and beginning in uh, verse 13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Well, this passage teaches us about the the restoration and 
and uh, reconciliation that we have in Christ. And as we think about our world around us, we realize that uh, uh, there's a great deal of division and conflict in our world. Uh, with the international news as it is, we can we can we can turn on the uh, the television and hear reports of war and conflict just about every day. Somewhere, something uh, new is happening with some type of conflict. But we really don't need the international news to know that, do we? We we see it all around us, right here in our own country. We we have conflict in the in the government and the different political parties and conflict all around us. And this division and conflict comes much closer to home as well, doesn't it? It comes right into our relationships, right into the closest of our relationships, into our own families. We have conflicts between husbands and wives and parents and children and brothers and sisters within a family. And it's, uh, it's a part of the reality of the fallen man in the fallen world that we live in. And you can go to the bookstore and you can, you can see different books. They give advice and hints and steps about how to, how to have peace and how to resolve conflicts. But the reality is there's, there's only one true source of peace, lasting peace, and that is in the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when He is truly Lord in our hearts, then we have peace. We have peace with Him and peace between one another. And many people don't realize that this is their greatest problem. It's not the, it's not the, the conflict between them and other people, but the greatest problem is their conflict with God. Uh, man is separated from God by his nature and in conflict with God. Sin has separated man from God so that man cannot be reconciled to God. He, he cannot know God. And that is why Good Friday is so good for us. Christ's death for us in our place provided forgiveness and reconciliation to Him. In our text, Paul begins by talking first about the conflict between the, the Gentiles and the Jews. And then he moves to the, the bigger problem of separation from God. But this morning, I want us to focus on uh, the means by which God provides peace. How does He do it? How is it possible that we could be made right with God? And, and, and He tells us that it is through the cross. It's reconciliation is through the cross of Christ. Uh, notice again in verse 13, He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is a, a reference to the crucifixion, His death on the cross. In verse 14, he begins with, For He Himself is our peace. It's, it's not that just that Christ provided the way of reconciliation. He is the way. He is our peace. Salvation is in a person, in the person of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only way to God. And we must come through Him. That's, that was the message, remember, from the first ten verses of this chapter, this, this emphasis on our salvation is by grace through 
faith in Christ. Well, let's look first of all at at this reconciliation with others that Paul deals with here. He, as I said, he begins with this on the human level, the the reconciliation that was so uh, such a problem for them in that time between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was it was where Paul began, and then he'll move from that to the greater problem. It's a, it's a little bit like looking at a tree and you, you see all the leaves and the limbs and, the, and you can see the fruit if, if it's a fruit tree. But the roots are there. The roots are foundational to the problem and Paul's going to get to that foundational need that we have of reconciliation with God. In verse 14, he, he says, For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That made us both one, as you see there, and as, as he'll, he'll reveal more in this, later in this passage, is the one body, the church. And so God has made from the two one new entity. Galatians 3 verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so he speaks of this unity uh, that we have. And in verse 14, he says the means to this unity is in his flesh. Again, uh, a reference to the cross, to the crucifixion. It's at the cross he removes the, the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, he continues by saying, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Well, the law, as you remember all the the various ordinances, commandments, it caused a, a separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was a a dividing wall here. We, talk, we spoke briefly about earlier. There's both the physical wall that was there uh, around the temple that kept the Gentiles out of that um, inner area of worship that the Jews were, were allowed to go into. But, but there was also a metaphorical law, uh, wall that was there all the time. No matter where they were, there was this division between the Jews and the Gentiles and so he says here that through his death on the cross in his flesh, he, he removed, he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. The law also revealed a much greater wall of separation, and that is the separation between us and God. Uh, the law shows us who we are as sinners. It shows us that we come short of God's righteousness, His righteous standards, standards of holiness. And so we're condemned by the law. But when Christ died, He he brought an end to that condemnation. He fulfilled the law in Himself and paid the, the price for our sins so that God's righteous righteousness, His holiness, could be satisfied. It was satisfied in the payment that that Christ paid for us. He is our propitiation. He 
He satisfies God's wrath against sin. And so he will say in verse 15 that, or so that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. When we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are made or created a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we collectively, as believers, are created a new man or a new entity. And he's, again here, referring to the church. This, this, this one new man is the church, which is created in Christ Jesus. It's, it's no longer a, a Jewish church and a Gentile church. It's, it's no longer a white church and a black church. It is the church of Jesus Christ. And we are one new man in Him. A new entity, a new creation, united in Him. And although we don't see the fullness of this reality now, one day we will. When we were with Him, we will, we will see what God has designed, what He has created in this one new creation in Christ Jesus. Well, He continues to, uh, from verse 16 to emphasize the reconciliation with God. And he really, it really is the, the foundational need that we have is to, is to be reconciled to God. We are never really going to be that successful at reconciliation with others until we are right with God. And so he says in verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And again, he is talking about both the Jews and the Gentiles, which really includes everyone that uh, we can imagine all the different uh, language groups and ethnic groups and every person that uh, comes to the Lord in faith is reconciled to God. So he, he's not just talking about the, uh, the Gentiles who need to be reconciled. He says, he says, we reconciled us both to God. And he again emphasizes the cross. Notice he keeps talking about the cross and, the, and in his body and all of these references to the crucifixion. It is the means by which we can be reconciled to God. And the Jews had to come in the same way. Although they were, they were religious and they thought they were near to God, they were nearer to God than the Gentiles were, but they also needed to be reconciled through Christ. And so they had to come through faith in Christ in the same way. And through Him, we have this reconciliation. The enmity between us and God is removed and sins are forgiven. The price is paid in full. Paul will sum up what he's saying here in Colossians 1, verse 19 to 22. And I thought it'd be good for us just to, just to look at that briefly and think about it. He says, for in him, speaking of Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. 
That's how we will appear before God. Not, uh, not clothed or represented by our works and by our good deeds, but presented unto Him, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that is how He will present us holy and blameless without reproach in His presence. It's in Christ and because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so as we come this morning to receive the communion together, I want us to think about the reconciliation to God that Christ has accomplished for us in His death. And I'll, I'll ask again this morning, have you been reconciled to God? Do you know this peace in your heart? Have you received Christ by faith and so doing come to, into a relationship with God through Christ? Because receiving the communion, the, the juice and the, and, and the bread, it, it does not reconcile you to God. That this is a memorial for us. It reminds us of what Christ has done for us. It pictures, it reminds us of the communion that we have with Him, the fellowship that we have with Him. And consequently, the, the communion or fellowship we have with each other as well. As believers, we've been reconciled to God. We have peace with Him. And because of that, God calls us to pursue peace with each other. It may not always be possible. Um, scriptures acknowledge that, that we, we may not always be able to live at peace with everyone, but it admonishes us to pursue peace, to pursue peaceful relationships and reconciliation one with another. One author writes, if you are in Christ and I am in Christ, then he himself becomes the source of peace between us. We have to view all in any conflict through the lens of the person of Christ. End of quote. The scripture says it this way, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So as we as believers have to ask the question, is he ruling in my heart? Is he really the Lord of my life? And if he is, when there there's conflicts that come and misunderstandings and disagreements and hurt feelings and all the things that are just naturally going to happen when you have people together. Sometimes you probably even get in conflict with yourself, but uh, that's another story. Uh, he's talking about peace between one another. And when that happens, we can let the love of Christ reconcile us to each other, remembering that He is the Lord and that He is to reign and rule in my heart. And when that happens, we can have peace. We can have the peace of Christ in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Father, it is a great joy to know you and to know the peace that you give us. Thank you, Lord, as we reflect this morning upon your death, the death of Christ on the cross for us in our place so that we could have our sins forgiven, that the enmity between us and you could be removed and we could be reconciled unto you so that we could come into your presence, so that we could come uh, with confidence, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of Christ. And so, Father, we rejoice in that this morning. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing of Christ's finished work on the cross. Please stand again.
look in um, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, turn our thoughts a little bit to this idea of communion, which I tend to use to refer to the Lord's table is another way of of referring to um, the memorial that the Lord gave. And we find both of those in chapter 10, both of those um, concepts or words. In chapter 10, in case you're not familiar with the context here, Paul is warning the Corinthians, he's writing to them, uh, and he's using, he's warning them about idolatry and sin in general. And he's using the, the Jews from the Old Testament as an example. He's, he's saying that's why we have the record of all the, their problems, <laughs> was to warn us. And so he, the first part of chapter 10, that's what he's doing. He's, he's saying, don't be like them. Don't do like they did. He said, don't put Christ to the test. Don't desire evil as they did and, 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 and desire after um, you know, sexual immorality and, the, and idolatry and all the things they did. And in verse 10, he says, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. He says, and so he, in verse 11, he says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the age have come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted above your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so he's giving this warning and admonition here concerning their life together as a church and their conduct uh, as believers in Christ. And then he's going to continue to warn them in particular about the uh, practice of going into these pagan temples of worship and having meals there that uh, were dedicated to these uh, demons. And, And he's going to say, He's going to say, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not implying that demons are real or that, or that or these idols are real, but the reality is there's demons behind this worship. And he says, I don't want you to be partaker of that. I don't want you to participate in that. And he's going to use the, the time of, um, of communion, the, the Lord's table, the, this memorial that the Lord had given, to say you can't have part in this, in the, in the Lord's table, and part in the devil's table, is basically what he's saying. And so he's admonishing them to separate, be separate from the world and, and the immorality of the world. And, and in that context, I want to read for you from um, verse 14. He says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? And that word participation there is the word koinonia. Some of you know that, that Greek word that's used to talk about fellowship. It's, it's used uh, here, translated participation. Uh, and it conveys the idea of communion, that which we have in common with Christ 
God and also with one another because we are in Christ. And so communion uh, conveys this idea of, of fellowship. And he's saying that when you take these elements, you are, you are fellowshipping with God. You remember what he has done for you. You're remembering this unity you have in Christ and with one another. He, he goes on in, in verse 17 to say, uh, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. And he's referring there, obviously, the bread is to Christ. Because in the, in the communion, they, the Lord took the bread, you remember. He took the one loaf and he broke it and gave to his disciples. And, and so this morning, as we... As we come together, we're all kind of spread out this morning. But I want you to imagine that we're all sitting around one big table, like a family. And when you eat together as a family, that's part of what you're doing is you're fellowshipping together, aren't you? you you're, you're, you're enjoying something in common there, a meal together, conversation together. And that pictures for us the, the Lord's table the communion, the fellowship that we have together as we, as we receive together this morning. So imagine this, this big table where we're all sitting together and we have this one loaf. And as we pass this loaf around, you take a piece of that loaf, which represents your part of the whole, your part in Christ. And because we all share in this one bread, this one loaf, we all share together we all have Christ in common. He is the one that the, the one loaf that he's referring to here, the one that um, we share in. And he says, "We who are many are one body." Again, a reference to the church, the unity of the church of Christ. We are one because we have all shared together in Christ. We all came in the same way. Although we're all different, we all came from different backgrounds, we all came to God through Christ, all in the same way. And so we have this this morning in common. And so if you, you can peel back that first layer there and find the, find the wafer, we're going to pray together. And if there's, a, if there's sin that's keeping you from fellowship with the Lord this morning, keeping you from the peace in your heart, uh, now's a good time to confess that and, and repent of it. And maybe there's, maybe there's a problem with fellowship in the body, whether it's uh, in your own family or the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. And if that's true, would you just commit in your heart this morning to make that right? Confess that to the Lord and uh, repent of it and commit to making it right so that as we receive together this morning, we are... We are truly in fellowship with Him and with each other. Father, we thank You this morning for um, this time where we can remember You, remember what Christ did for us, the price that was paid for us, and how He suffered for us and loved us so much. Lord, I pray that that would impact us this morning as we think about that and think about the reconciliation we have with You 
Think about the peace that we can have in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would show us, Father, where we need, to, we need to turn from sin, sins that we need to put off, and godly living that needs to be put in its place. And so we confess that to you this morning and ask for your forgiveness. And Father, if there's broken relationships, conflict, any of those kinds of things, Lord, that break fellowship one with another, I pray, Father, that we'd be willing this morning to put our pride out of the way and to allow you to be the Lord in our hearts and to reign in our hearts, Father, in such a way that we're, we're not allowing any, any conflicts between one another. And so, Father, we come to you receiving this symbol of your body that was given for us, the bread that came down out of heaven. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have the instruction just over in chapter 11 where Paul reminds them that he received instruction from the Lord in the same way concerning the cup. He says in verse 25, in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. As oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's close in a, in a hymn, Beneath the Cross. Stand once more as we sing, please.